0: Are you a developer or conversational designer looking to excel in the latest AI platforms? Or maybe you're in marketing looking for the latest in audio branding and customer engagement. Or maybe you're a startup, a business owner, an investor, or simply want to know about the future of voice technology. Then Voice Summit held in Newark, New Jersey, this July is for you. Get your ticket at voicesummit.ai. That's voicesummit.ai. We can't wait to hear your voice and meet you at the conference. Today, Voice Summit Programming and Content Director Janice Mandel welcomes Shane Mack to the Inside Voice Summit podcast. Shane co-founded Assist, a conversational solution platform for chatbots and voice applications, which became known for deploying Facebook Messenger chatbots for leading brands, including its first customer, 1-800-Flowers, whose CMO will take the main stage with Shane at this year's Voice Summit. Last March, Converse Social, a UK-based social media management and customer service software provider, acquired Assist, and named Shane its Chief Automation Officer. In this conversation, you'll learn what led Shane to his first major exit, why he says he was overly passionate, completely ignorant, and way too confident, how he's grown to collect the right people, and hear his take on the convergence of diverse players that make today's voice community so cool.
1: Well, that's what we were going to talk about. Last year when we met you, you were the founder of Assist, and that was a conversational solution provider for chatbots and voice applications. And you showed up with Christina Mallon. Why did you come and why did you bring Christina?
2: Well, the more I got into this voice space, six, seven years ago... We started playing around with how computers can talk and how will these voice assistants work and how do you design the language and all these kind of things. And, you know, coming from my experience over a decade ago when we started the first kind of social CRM type platform, all the things we didn't think about at the beginning, I think really hurt the social media world today. And a lot of the problems we see today are because when we started, we had this like optimistic naivete around how the technology should work. And we kind of turned our eye to all the things for the bias and the kind of all the hatred you see on social media and all of the trolls and all of the bots and all these bad things. I think they could have been a little, you know, we could have seen them coming if we would have thought about it. So as I got into the conversational world, I started asking myself, like, what is gonna go wrong with this space? the conversational space. And Christina has this fascinating story where she opened my eyes to all of the things we weren't thinking about. And as we started building these, you know, experiences for brands, and you know, you're taking over the words and the language and the personality and how you treat people with words for these brands and with everyone using Google Assistant Alexa, et cetera. And I'm sitting there like, oh, if we mess this up and we don't think about what this means to people with disabilities, and that's where Christina comes in, because you know she lost the feeling of both of her arms. So she lives her entire life without being able to use her arms. And voice has changed her entire life. Like without voice, she couldn't live alone in New York City to turn on the lights, to get out of bed
1: and yet she's so wildly successful. she is uh, works at possible agency, which focuses on just this very thing, opening brands' eyes to the fact that they've got a huge market out there.
2: Totally. And so when I met Christina, you you look for those people in life who they challenge your thinking, and the minute you meet them, you can never think the same way again. And that's how I felt when I met Christina. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not thinking about people of all kinds of disabilities, but I'm also not thinking about how we're going to treat people of different backgrounds and different kind of bias the way we're designing the language. And if you know, if I'm a Southern guy from Illinois and I'm designing how I think the, the assistant should talk and someone comes from Japan and starts talking to something that I built, I'm going to have a difference in how that person should be treated. I'm not going to understand their nuance of their culture and how they speak and all these things. And so I started thinking about it more and I'm like, if we don't get in front of this and start thinking about all the different things that could possibly go wrong or how to do this better, we could have a lot of problems with this space. I think just like we did in the social media space after a decade.
1: That's so interesting. You know, this year we've got so many proposals at uh, Voice Summit and I've seen localization, you know, a form of internationalization, making things right for the audience you are approaching. Linguistically, there's a lot of challenge culturally so that's kind of interesting. But to catch people up, you know, you started out back in the day, just a guy who's musician, making your own little widgets, what have you. And um, you got into the space kind of stalking folks in... Uh, <laughs> you joke, it's a stalker app, right? Just You wanted to see who you were talking to on uh, social media. So you wanted a CRM that popped up the image of the person you were talking to. Who did you meet? that influenced you to take your first step? Because ultimately, Assist, which you founded, I mean, your clients were Sephora, Fandango, Hyatt, and somebody you're going to be bringing a voice this year, 1-800-Flowers, your first client. So how did you push into that space, uh, making
2: that platform? It's kind of a funny story. I got into technology because I just really liked the people side of the internet. And I started looking at these kind of, social networks in 05, 06, 07, And I was watching it go from the world where it was, you didn't really know anyone online and everyone had kind of had a pseudonym and you would meet people in chat rooms. And I was like the DL down low five, nine, five, four guy. You know, you had these little like username and then it went to real identity. And that was really like when my space was kind of shifting to Facebook era, like that moment in time, You started meeting people, and I think maybe being in college at the time had a big thing to do with it, but when you started meeting people in real life who you met online, that was a huge moment for the internet, and I think it made the internet feel smaller, it made it feel more personal, and it made you realize the power of That was kind of what I was always fascinated by, is the connection of people and like how the internet brings that together. And so after my first startup in Seattle, we sold it to BlackBerry and I got to work on BlackBerry Messenger and not really even work on it, to be honest. I wasn't there that long, but I saw BlackBerry Messenger. When I saw BBM, I thought, if everyone in the world likes texting each other and they don't really like calling each other, why can't we message businesses? Why can't we do this in a business context? So I kind of thought, okay, I think the future, I going to be about messaging. I think Twitter DMs were kind of happening. You could send a message to a brand. It was recorded forever that your call was finally recorded for quality purposes because it never is on the call. And at the same time, I saw this guy on Twitter, Robert Stevens, who's the founder of Geek Squad and the CTO of Best Buy. And this, this guy is the CTO of a Fortune 50 company. He's on Twitter. He's got his personal cell phone number in his bio. He says, text me if you need anything. And he basically bet the entire customer service of Best Buy in 2008 On Twitter DMs. And he said, this is the future. Like, This is what we're going to do. We're going to give every single Best Buy employee in the company 150,000 people. We're going to let them all use their personal phones on the job. He's like the first CTO in retail to ever do that. And we're going to route questions from Twitter DMs to all the people in stores that are bored at their job and there's no one in that store to answer questions on Twitter. And he kind of, I saw this. I was like, this guy like sees the future. So we built a relationship. I reached out to him. He said he was going to move to San Francisco with his wife. And then we spent three years together just talking about the future. And he was the one who understood the automation side. I would say I was way more interested in the human side. I was like, how do we build messaging so that I can talk to, you know, a Best Buy agent via messaging? He was the one who was like, listen, the future is a step ahead of that. And the brand who figures out that people prefer automation, if done well, over human contact is the moment when everything shifts and the way we view call centers and like talking to brands will forever change. To be honest, Janice, I didn't really know what the fuck he was talking about. He told me about a chatbot, and I was like, really? But I always look for this in myself though when I think about decision-making frameworks for like what I choose to do. And whenever I have the emotion of like, Man, that seems really silly and small or kind of stupid. Like, whenever I have that feeling, I usually actually think I'm onto something great. And I had that feeling. He told me, We're going to build bots. And at the time, this was six, seven years ago. And at the time, I was like, We're going to build just a bot, like a little script and a text message. And it felt so simple. And he's like, The goal of the future is to get words to talk to APIs and systems. If every brand is just a collection of their APIs and the systems that they expose to their employees, then if we can get language to talk to those systems, we can build an experience that every consumer can control. And when you do that, you expose the ability for consumers to drive the entire experience. And you know, it's funny, it, it was so simple in my head. I was like, oh, so I'll just say, like, get a haircut. Great clips will respond back. What time? I'll say five. And then it'll be booked. And that was our first integration. We did a Great Clips integration. And once I solved it, you know, we built a JavaScript crawler to hack their website, not a hack, Brad word to crawl their website so that we could actually, via a text message, 23232, you could type HRC, haircut, and it would show you the nearest three Great Clip locations. And you would just say, I want the next available time. and say, okay, 13 minutes. And we built it in probably a few, like a weekend. And it felt pretty simple. It was like one API integration, getting the times off their website. We didn't get permission from Great Clips. And then Robert walks in to the Great Clips and his name's on the board. It says Robert Stevens, 13 minutes. And he's like, this is the future. He's like, this is how it's gonna interact. You don't have to download anything. You don't have to like, you don't have to install, you don't have to sign up, nothing. You can just talk to brands and it'll let you interact with the systems. In that moment, when you saw his name on the screen and all he did is send a text message, you had this like light bulb go off in my head. And so we threw out all the human we were doing human live chat and all this agent stuff, and he said, You know, I said, my job as the CEO is to really let people make decisions that are smarter than me. And I think he sees the future much differently than anyone else. And so I just scrapped what we were doing, said we're a bot company and became the bot guy.
1: Well, because nothing in your background said that that was you. You were just
2: going to go into business, right? I didn't even know. I I, I never even thought about being an entrepreneur, really, to be honest. It just kind of happened.
1: Well, How did you meet TA? I don't want to go back too far, but you know, that was kind of a remarkable story. Ended up selling just uh, for 50 million to BlackBerry. That was no small thing. There were like 12 of you guys at that point.
2: Yeah. I mean, TA was just the guy that got me into my career and really taught me everything about tech. Before that, I didn't really know. I was just curious about the internet, to be honest. How'd you meet? Actually, through a random Twitter connection that is kind of a crazy story. I was in Seattle. I met this lady named Kate Walling, and she told me to get on Twitter. And you know, I was on Twitter, since like, "0708 time frame. It was really early.
1: But you know you didn't love it at
2: first. Yeah, you're, you know you're kind of like, "What is this thing?" But again, the way I think about decisions and ideas is, I was like, this seems kind of silly and dumb. And whenever I feel that way, I always try to remind myself that that's how things start. But what is like the magic thing that you couldn't do? And the ability to to broadcast everyone in the world as simple as Twitter is pretty powerful. And the moment for me though was I saw Kate talking to this girl, Jen, and I was watching the conversation. And she texted, I'll see you at Starbucks tomorrow. And I responded to them and I said, where's my coffee? And I was kind of joking. And Jen responded to me and said, whenever you want. And that interaction I mean, for me, I was like, is this online dating? This is insane. I've never even done online dating, but this is weird. Because I was like, what is happening right here?
1: But you showed up, but you showed up.
2: Exactly. In that moment, though, what I thought in my head, I go, wait, I can text anybody in the world. That's Twitter to me. And when I realized that, I was like, this is the most powerful platform in the world. I still believe that Twitter is phenomenal. But at the time, you know, it's kind of like people messing around in the edges of the internet. Like, always look for the edges of the internet. That's where all these like little pockets of passionate people are doing cool stuff. So, Jen and I go get coffee and I was showing her like this little CRM thing I was working on. And she's like, you have to meet TA. And I didn't know who TA was. And TA ends up being like a really, really, really like respectable entrepreneur in Seattle. He's done a few companies, you know, worked on exchange at Microsoft. And he was uh, building a product called Mindbox. And Mindbox was the ability to search your inbox and find news and relevant information about anyone you've ever emailed before. So that like a year later it'd be like, Hey Shane, follow up with Janice. She's in the news today, and it looks like you know she had a you know big event happen. And I didn't really get it because there's not a lot of news about people in college when you're like that young, but there's a lot of social data because I came out of the social kind of college era. And so TA saw, you know, I think just a younger version, this passionate kid who was like overly passionate, completely ignorant and like way too confident. That was like my, my young self. And I don't know, he, he was able to like harness that and believe in me. And he goes, aren't you join me to do this company? And I didn't even, I was like, are you going to pay me? I don't have any money. I can't like, I, like, I need a paid. I need a job. I didn't even see it as a job, and he's like, "I'll pay you." And so he was actually working for um, the Paul Allen, the founder of Microsoft, was our first investor for a million dollars, and that was uh, who he was the entrepreneur in residence for. And he was actually mining Paul's and bucks, and so that was how it all got started. And from that day forward, you know, I learned. From the best people in the game. I got to sit next to one of the most respectable entrepreneurs I've ever met. And he's my biggest mentor and coach to today. And, you know, it's cool to go from a mentor relationship to really a partnership because now, like, we really are different. Uh, You know, he's the most, like, disciplined. He won the America's Cup in 92 and 95. He runs his boat like a sailboat. He's like, there's 11 seats on this. Every single person has their specific role. You crank the right winch, we're going to win. Like, he's that militant. And I'm really not. I'm very creative. I like to give control to people and like really think about the human and culture and like the the ideas and how do you get people inspired to work every day and how do we build a culture we're proud of and you know not that he doesn't think about that but he's way more on like he really runs an operation and he's operational like a machine. And I'm way more on the soft side, I think. And so now we really like are able to help each other and kind of have that relationship. And it's been amazing. So he was one of the first investors in Assist. He's the reason I got in the game, and I think he's now one of my favorite humans and one of my best friends.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, you said uh, ultimately, you know, you, you weren't the idea guy on all this stuff. You were a collector of people. You were a recognizer of people.
2: Yeah. When you're young, you try to have all the ideas and. It's not even that fun. Like, why does it matter if you have the idea?
1: Oh, I've had lots of ideas. I, I've just never gone public or, <laughs> or sold them to anybody. So, you know, it's the execution. I'm very interested in how you pull that off. Um, I understand there was, who was it that um, you heard do a piece about anticipation versus automation?
2: That was Robert. Yeah. And that was the first article I ever saw him write. It was the day he left Best Buy. He wrote an article called The Futures About Anticipation Versus Automation and anticipating all of your customers' needs to the degree which the customer doesn't have to make any decisions. And I think that still holds true. I think that's the path that every brand is on. And that's the experiences that consumers are like, that was magical. You know, the next wave is really the world where everything's going to get delivered to you and you're just going to say yes, no, and send it back. You don't even have to really, it already knows what you want.
1: Yeah. So you jumped in uh, with Assist. Your first client was 1-800-Flowers,
2: right? Yeah. It was a crazy, funny story, actually. Because at the time, you know, we were building these bots to talk to APIs. We didn't know who we were going to be at a company. I think it's always interesting and good to remember. When you first start a company, you're just trying these little ideas. And you have a vision and view of the world. But the first product you built is usually not that good. But ours was pretty good. But it wasn't, uh, we didn't really know if we were going to be an enterprise company, if we were going to be a platform that brands used. We didn't know at the time. And what we did is we just were exploring and experimenting with APIs and language. And that kind of was Robert's thesis. So we found this API called Florist One, which was an API to order flowers online without having to make an account or anything. And it would deliver flowers. So very much similar to 1 800 flowers. But it wasn't that's their service. And so. We bought the short code 23232. We integrated this API and we were able to actually text Flowers, text Janice, your address that it would deliver you flowers tomorrow. Payment was on file, all this stuff, all via SMS. And I think it was the CEO. And then this guy named Tony Vallado, the VP of marketing at 1 800 Flowers, saw it and they reached out and he's like, I need this. I need you to build this for me. And coming from consumer technology, you know, I was sitting there watching the world kind of happening, right? Text was happening. Twitter DMs were kind of a thing, but not really. It didn't really take off like people thought. But then I kept hearing from the Facebook team and the Apple team and the Google team, like, you know, messaging and WhatsApp and Messenger and Apple Business Chat and all these things are about to open up. It was about 2014, 15. And I'm like, if they all open up, this is like the next frontier. These are the platforms that are going to enable the businesses. So the Flowers team asked us, hey, can we use your platform to build this for 1-800-Flowers? And I had like an admin panel. And so I literally sold them an admin panel. And I, I say it here because I told them, I and mean, we rebuilt the platform like a year later. But, you know, it worked out for everyone because they just wanted to be on Messenger. And so I didn't really even realize. And at the same time, you know, it's Weird how Stars Align. I'm like, I don't, know, I don't know, but this guy wants to pay me like $80,000, Robert. Like, should we take their money and like build this? Are we going to be a consultancy? Like, we need to say it. We need to really make a platform and then sell them the software and not do custom development work. Then I get a call from the Facebook team and the head of partnerships, Brian, I'll never forget him. This guy named Brian, uh, he messages me and he's like, hey, we want flowers to be the national use case. And I'm like, hey, I think I have 1 flowers as a customer. And so these three dots connected. And then three months later was F8. We had a three-month sprint. We built the first commerce ever to be transacted on Facebook Messenger. And then I got a call three days before F8. And Zuckerberg reached out through his team and said, Do you think the CEO of 1-800-Flowers will care if I get on stage and say, Now you're never going to have to call 1-800-Flowers again as a joke. And I was like, I don't think so. I mean, I think you'd like to be the keynote story. And so Zuckerberg got on stage and made the joke, and that was the first ever brand to launch with commerce. That really is what started our assist down the path of like being a platform for brands. And it came from them reaching out because we were building a little demo of ordering flowers, and they wanted it. I always say the best BD is just to show them, not tell them. So you know, we have a big philosophy of even the great clips. We're still trying to get them as a customer, but they sent us a season desist. We called them. We're like, we're just trying to send you more orders to book at your places. And they're like, oh, we're sorry. That's fine. Keep doing it. We called a season persist.
1: That's hilarious. I'm so pumped that you're bringing the CMO from 1-800-Flowers to Voice
2: Summit. Yeah, I mean, he's great. And now, I mean, they get it and what they, you know, we learned a lot from them too, because obviously they come from a voice world because they're, you know, brand is a phone number. Um, But they really believe the frontier is the voice and the language and the nuance. Um, And that voice and messaging and automation is the future of their brand. Like they're all in. They are the ones that helped us expand every platform. And when we went from doing just conversational messaging platforms to actually being one of the first to do commerce on Google Assistant, Alexa... I mean, if you go to Google, the main use case they talk about is 1-800-Flowers on Google Assistant. You don't have to touch the phone, and you can fully order flowers with the robot. And it works really well. And so I think they've been a real pioneer. They've pushed our thinking and working together with them to be on every single conversational platform has been an amazing experience. And you know what I find inspiring about 100 Flowers is... The philosophies in companies are always built and kind of like the religion is always built around whatever the original story was, right? And so 1-800-Flowers was the first company in the world to ever sell in a 1-800 number. So they've been first. They're really big about these big platform tra- like shifts. And the last time they did it was the web. And they were the first company to sell flowers on like serve in 1993 on the internet.
1: Oh my God. I was a computer book editor back in the day and I acquired the master guide to CompuServe.
2: (laughs) Exactly. And so they've been first and there really hasn't been a shift since then. So if you ask them, you know, the app world didn't do what everyone, you know, hoped. They're not driving all tons of orders through the app. Like no one downloads the app just to send a flower.
1: Well, it was cool at first. It was cool at first, but then we had so many apps. I mean, you just got to watch what people are doing.
2: Yeah, exactly. And apps are hard and then consumers have to download them and then you have to remember your password and log into a different account. And then, I mean, there's so much shit. And so, you know, I think we're moving from, that's really a discovery type world. So you have to like remember what folder it's in and what you were doing. And we're moving into an intent world. And the intent world is just a very different game. People say, I want to send flowers. The phone should know what t- service can do that. And it should enable that to happen in the easiest way as possible. And that's what's happening right now. And it's pretty great.
1: It's an amazing interface. I mean, you don't have to know anything, and why should you? I think that technology, it's about time it served us, and we stopped
2: serving it. 100%. I totally agree with you. uh, One of our mottos at Assist was we build software to help people stop using software.
1: Thank you. I love it. So here's the thing. We're at this point where you've done this, and you have nothing in your background that says, You're going to be so technically savvy. You're going to put these things together no matter how sophisticated they are in the back end. Who helped you? Shane. You are no longer with Assist, right? That's true. You are now the Chief Automation Officer for Cumber Social. Tell us how that evolved.
2: Yeah. You know, I have a, a title that no one knows what it means, but I'm basically just working on everything that is Assist and, you know, all the leading the automation efforts. But if you go back to where it started, you know, take the 1-800-Flowers example. When an automation provider walks in and says, hey, I want to do all the marketing and sales and we're plugging into this messaging platform, whenever the person is the customer and they say, you know what, I really want to talk to one of your agents, we need to be able to route that information from the automation to the agent so that they have the information and then they can do the conversation. And like I said, we quit doing the human agent. Software at the beginning, because I believed in Robert's vision that we should focus um, and the constraint would allow us to innovate on doing just automation. So I realized we had to integrate with people. So Live person was the provider on the 1 800 Flowers account already, and they were actually in the channel. So we came in, one of these new little startups, we took over the channel and then we integrated with LivePerson to route the information to LivePerson if you ever needed an agent. And if you go to Hyatt was the next customer and then I'm, that Converse Social was the platform. And I so I was like, man, I'm integrating to all these live chat platforms. And we just kept integrating to more and more and more of them. And you realize really quickly that you needed both. It's not a world right now where there's this magic bullet AI that is going to answer everything and delight the customer every time. And it's not a full automation game. And you still need a human touch for many things. And so I realized it's about really great automation done well and then seamless integration to the agent platforms and us not being in the same room and on the same team there was really no incentive for us to keep integrating with each other and kind of like obviously they're trying to build bots that we've already built a big platform and obviously we're thinking about building an agent platform because we don't want to integrate to theirs and so it was either like build or sell and in there on their side it's either build or buy. And I'm like, well, I have four years of a platform and we're connected to eight platforms. And we're one of the best partners with all of them. And they were also one of the best partners with all the platforms. We would already had a few customers together. And the funny thing is, Ito, who's the president of uh, Commerce Social now, was the guy I was actually working with and trying to like integrate with when we launched 1-800-Flowers when he was a live person. And then Josh, I met when uh, Hyatt introduced us three, four years ago now. And him and I just had the same view of the future. He believed in what we were doing. He just didn't have the resources yet to really do it, or was waiting for the market to catch up. And by the time it caught up, four years later, our platform was really robust. Their platform was really robust, and it made sense for us since we were already integrated to just be in the same room. And there's a much bigger company and mission to go after here, having a full end-to-end solution in my mind rather than just being one piece of the bigger solution.
1: Yeah, and they are in UK, right?
2: Yeah, we have offices in uh, London. New York and San Francisco and a lot of customers in EMEA.
1: So there's a little bit of uh, localization uh, going on there on both ends. Everybody's figuring that out.
2: Yeah, we actually launched multilingual support um, about four months ago on our platform to support all different languages across all these different countries. Cool.
1: I know this is odd, but you know how sonic branding is one of these exciting things going on. Is there any sound that goes on in your platform or?
2: Yeah, for sure. What do you mean by sonic branding?
1: Well, you know, we're going to have Steve Keller from Pandora join us at Voice Summit this year and also the authors of a sonic branding book. And they're talking a little bit about how sound can enhance uh, your appreciation of a brand and a product. When uh, MasterCard, you swipe your card and it makes a sound, that's one aspect of it, but also People are trying to enhance, you know, the way the food tastes when you're doing things, you know, sort of the the sound you hear associated with a brand. It's like your voice. You and I have the same voice every time we speak. I had a wacky voice the next time we spoke. You'd say, I don't trust that person. They're a little different this time. So it's the same way with brands. They should kind of sound the same. Totally. If I were better at explaining it, I would be saying it on the Station Voice Summit. That's why we're having these experts come in and, and talk to us. So I'm excited to learn more.
2: Then, I mean, that's definitely the next frontier. There's two things happening right here. So in our platform, you can add any kind of audio. You can use recorded audio, like pro audio. You can also use the Google Assistant, you know, pre-canned stuff. But there's also this new wave, which I think is more of what you're talking about, which is how do you do text to speech, but speech that actually sounds like your brand. And you took like the, the technology that Google has that you can make your Google Assistant sound like John Legend or whatever it was. And that's getting into a whole different layer, which is I'm really fascinated by because you're really breaking down like tone and you're breaking down what is it that makes up a voice. But the ability to make that say any word you want through a computer and still sound like John Legend is a pretty cool breakthrough in technology. And I think then it's where every brand can, one, not have pre-canned recordings. So it's not like calling their call center. It's like, hey, welcome to 1-800-Flowers. It's really able to respond to you however it wants to talk because it can pronounce any words and sound like the brand. So our platform can support all of that today it's more on like the brands to spend the time to do it to be honest and i you know we're just starting to see it one of our customers is lonely planet and you know i was really good friends with the ceo daniel and that was a big thing we talked about a lot because lonely planet is one of the most loved brands in the world every time you meet someone in the world and you say hey have you heard of lonely planet they say i love lonely planet it's what's wild It's just this like, you know, helpful, nice brand about like travel in the world and really just understanding people and and stuff. So we were like, what is the voice of Lonely Planet? It was one of the first travel brands to launch on Google Assistant and Alexa. And we thought about, you know, is it an Australian type of voice? Because that's where the brand, you know, was founded and that's where the founders are from and that's where the headquarters, like, what is the voice of Lonely Planet? And we're still thinking about it. I think that's a big question for all brands. but once you figure that out. I mean, yeah, everyone has AirPods and headphones in their ears all the time. So you're going to really, the minute you hear the sound that you're familiar with, you're going to be like, oh, that's all totally we're playing.
1: It. Yeah. And there's, and of course there's musical sounds as well. There are, you know, it's not just the voice. It's, it's the combination of all of those things that make up how we feel about a brand. Totally. Yeah. So when you first met me, you made it very clear that nobody's ever quit on you in all those years in in getting started. How do you keep people motivated?
2: That's a big question. You can't really change anyone or like Robert always says, you know, everyone's the center of their own universe. So how do you design a place where people can keep learning and really be inspired to do the way that they see how to do it, not how I see how to do it? So, you know, in a work context, I just tried to build a place to work that I wanted to work at. And my goal is to not make a lot of decisions. And so I was really inspired by this guy, David Marquet, who wrote a book called Turn the Ship Around. Uh, and it was about how the minute he started giving control, not orders on a naval ship, it became the highest performing naval ship in the Navy 20 years ago. Uh, and I kind of take that philosophy to heart. And I think my goal is to recruit the best people for all of the roles and then get the fuck out of the way. And, you know, it's funny. Like, you go to college and you you go to study business and all these things and none of it ends up mattering. Like, if you really want to lead a company, like, I don't enjoy, I could never do what our CFO does and I was a finance major. Like, if we did, if I did our finances, we'd be in prison. And once you watch people that excel in those kind of roles, like I'm just like, I feel so fortunate to just watch people perform. And so, I don't know, I think of myself as just a human, like, people collector and just a recruiter. And that's what I spend my time really trying to do is connect the dots. And then, you know, I like building hubs. So once someone comes in, you know, we had our Leah was our chief revenue officer and she came in and then she recruited all of her favorite people. And then those people recruited all of their favorite people. And then everyone, you know, all the former executives from Twitter and then our uh, head of partner engineering came from the messenger team. So every partnership we're doing is actually a recruiting opportunity. And so I was just trying to steal everyone out of the platforms. And then our head of product came from Apple Pay once we started working with Apple. And I don't know, I try to just think about building a place that is different to work for and is a very like, give control, not me barking decisions and orders.
1: Well, it's great to know how to get out of the way, but I guess you got to be a good, good judge of people.
2: Yeah. It's all about trust. I mean, at the end of the day, you know pretty quickly when things aren't working and aren't right. So it's really just getting people out quickly if they're not the right fit. I think it's also, it's a hard culture though. I mean, if you tell someone and really give them unlimited permission, that's something most people have never felt. So you know, it's really hard early in your career. You're looking for that guidance and feedback. Um, and that's where like great managers are great at. I would say that's not what I'm great at. I'm like, you should just own it and tell me. Like, I don't know. You're the expert. You should do this. This is not my area. And I really trust you to do everything.
1: Well, there's a big area here. I remember you said all the tools to build in this space need to be built. Anything left to build?
2: I don't, I don't even think it started. I mean, we're just like, the metaphor of the time where the voice internet is at is the day you saw the Yahoo homepage with blue links. That's where it's at. I mean, it feels very simple. There's some things that are kind of useful. There's a mediocre directory that kind of tells you the 10 things you should do, and you have no idea what you can search for. And I think that's the moment we're at in voice right now. It's where it feels. It's how the, when I use it, it's how it feels. And then you look at everything that had to be built. To make the internet really something that really works over the next 20, 30 years since the 90s. And I don't even think we're scratching the surface on the things that are going to need to be created to help this space, you know, break through.
1: We are surfing on the back of the knowledge we built, you know, from just releasing the iPhone. And just, you know, having that experience and and how people deal with things and love things or what it does to society. I think we're learning some lessons here that some people are paying attention to and uh, other people are heads down building. But what's interesting on this front is the community surrounding this. Are you feeling that? Are you seeing that grow and tighten up?
2: Totally. It's cool too. I mean, you're bringing together 5,000 people at Voice Summit. I mean, what's cool is you have... You have these convergences of very smart, like academics that have been studying language and linguistics and natural language processing and all these things that have been here for like 30 years. And they're all like, I've been doing this stuff for 30 years. This isn't new. But then you always have the market breakthroughs, which is the devices or the platforms that enable this technology to be applied and used in ways that all consumers can use. And that is always the thing that like, unlocks you know, innovation in the next phase. And so what's cool is you have the business and the entrepreneurial and the ambition because the platforms are enabling attention. And when you have attention, you have a new platform shifting. So because that's happening, because the Amazons and the Googles and the series are all opening up, that's what drives this like new, you know, this is a new thing. But it's cool because you have these people that really the underlying technology of this is these really smart academics that have been doing this forever. Amazing! And these convergences of that community, I think is awesome. And, you know, you can probably really, you know, when you're thinking about designing your company, having that diversity of thought and experience and young, youthful, like bright eyed optimism, because it feels so new with really experienced people that totally understand the way that a language understanding has to respond and treat people, design, et cetera. There's so much opportunity, but bringing those together for people to learn faster and build on these platforms with such a wealth of knowledge from all these types of people.
1: I get goosebumps over it. I'm really, really excited about it. This year's event, the people that are coming, I mean, last year they came from 15 countries, but this year, just the high caliber of people coming to share what they know is so cool. But what impresses me most is the diversity, the inclusion on this thing. I mean, there's no fraternity here. Okay. We've got, it's new. And yes, we've got the people that were in there in the trenches and they just did their thing. And it was men, it was women. You know, they were intellectuals that did not see the sex of who was doing what. And at this point, I feel like it's a very welcoming community. They've welcomed me and I'm grateful for that.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, you welcome to me. I just walk into your dinner.
1: Shane, man, for the moment I met you, special guy, really appreciate all you've done. Can't wait to meet Amit Shah and hear you know, the latest. I know you've saved some nuggets for that main stage opportunity. And of course, it's because of you that Christina Malin will also take the main stage this year. Talking about the new Tommy Hilfiger accommodation for people who need a little help getting their clothes on. So we will figure that out at Voice Summit this year. Thanks, Shane. Thank you. See you soon.